Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. The aesthetic industry appears to be quite rife with new information and new um, experts, companies coming into the, this niche in medicine, um, specifically as it relates to employee, employee laws, labor laws, um, employee lawsuits or lawsuits in general. And today, one of the things that we're going to discuss with Kurt Teller, who is an attorney and HR advisor at Cedar HR Solutions, a, um, the nation's leader in HR support and employee handbook design, um, specifically for the medical and dental fields. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is not just necessarily employee actions of things that happen in the practice, but things that can happen outside of the practice, which I think many surgeons out there uh, might not be aware that they are as liable for an employee off-premises as much as they are on-premises. Kurt, welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. It's an honor to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks, Angela. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, you know, Kurt, I just kind of do want to give a little bit of background about you. Um, from, um, you know, I do know that you know you are a um, an attorney who was graduated from Fordham Law School in New York, and for almost a decade, you were a familiar face in New York City courtrooms, um, litigating for debt and construction companies. Um, is that correct? Yeah, for better or worse, that's right. I was uh, essentially raised in New York, went to undergrad in upstate New York, graduated from Fordham, and then went right into the New York City legal scene. So I was a courtroom litigator. So almost every day in court, arguing motions, uh, won a trial, had a lot of fun, but uh, that can be a little bit of a grinding existence. Yes, yes, I would imagine so. And then I I do understand that you also, the corporation you work for had over... um, uh, 10,000 employees, is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, I worked for a couple of different law firms first, and that was where I got a lot of the in-court experience. And then basically I got snatched up by an uh, international company that uh, specialized in debt collection, uh, although they did a whole bunch of call center work. And basically I was responsible for their U.S. compliance. So if someone said, hey, I think you violated the law, then I was the person that figured out how to solve that problem. Well, I would imagine, again, because, you know, in a, in a kind of typical medical practice, you know, um, employees can go anywhere from one to, you know, 40, 50, 50 people on staff. And so with your experience working with such huge numbers and, of course, in such a, you know, massively competitive city like New York, um, your role at CEDA now um, must be of a, a similar but different nature. <laughs> Yeah, it's much more uh, it's much more personal is what I would call. Before I was solving strategic problems, like we have you know three hundred lawsuits, how do we handle that? Now it's hey, uh, I work at you know I'll speak with a doctor on the phone or an office manager, and they say hey, we have four people here, one of them isn't doing well, and that's a big problem because that's twenty five percent of our workforce. What do we do? Or we need to fire this person, or this person said uh, this is a hostile work environment. What does that mean, and how scared should I be? So most of my day now at Cedar is spent basically talking to employers and saying, okay, how do we solve your problem? Okay, okay. And then, and are you now based in Tucson? 
Yeah, so uh, Cedar's yeah. based in Tucson, although we have some people in other places too. Uh, but that's uh, where I work and the rest of the team, the solutions uh, advisement team, uh, works. And uh, I moved from New York out to Tucson, which has been an amazing change. New York's a great city, yeah. not knocking it, but Tucson's got a different pace. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Um, now, do you miss that courtroom experience, or um, do you find this, you know, equally as challenging and interesting working, as you said, on a more personal level? Uh, I liked court. It was fun. It was great to essentially just duel and, and you know, figure out who could be the uh, better uh, arguer, essentially. Uh, but it is also very combative, as you would think, as it's portrayed on TV. It can be very much a test of wills and mean like you know think about in your own life how often are you excited to talk to a litigator you know even if you're winning it's still costing you a lot of money <laughs> so you know when when you call them you're never happy and that was really one of the downsides and what i like about my job now and what i think actually makes it a lot better is that people are looking for help and not and they've already you know like members can call for unlimited help so if you have a problem today and a problem tomorrow a problem next week i'm going to get on the phone with you and i'm going to help it and i'm going to fix it and so having someone who's reaching for help and then very thankful after they get it is an amazing feeling. I love my job. That's great. That's great. How would you say that the litigation background um, now benefits your role at CEDAR in helping, you know, your aesthetic physicians and, and other medical practitioners, you know, find solutions to their problems? I think it helps mostly with uh, thought process. So what I deal with a lot are employers who have really good intentions and very reasonable plans, but they're not thinking about necessarily how other people are seeing it. So as an example, um, I had a uh, doctor who really wanted, let's, uh, it was the hair. Uh, his employee's hair, a couple of them, just wasn't looking right. It wasn't looking professional. He didn't like how it seemed. And he was like, how can I fix this? How can I write a policy or give them a corrective action or get this so that they look the way I want them to? And so we talked a little bit about it. And it was like, you know, what was wrong with their hair? What was the problem? And he's like, well, it's frizzy. And it's just kind of going in all over these different directions. And so I took a step back and I said, well, doctor, hold on a second. If you were not going to describe these people by their hair, but by something else, how would you how would you talk to them about them? And he said, "Well, they're the black girls." And I said, "Okay, well that's a problem, <laughs> right? Because yes. he's coming at this problem, trying to solve it, and say, hey, I want everyone to look good.' But if he comes down on just the black women at the office, they're going to see that as, oh, you don't like black women. And that's how a plaintiff's mm -hmm. counsel is going to see it, too, yes. even if that's not how it's intended. And, the, and what the doctor thinks or what the employer thinks isn't as important as what the plaintiff's counsel can prove. Yeah, and then it becomes a racial issue, you know, which really yep. is about the hair, you know. But, yeah, and I understand that. Um, you know, well, that's great. And then, you know, um, you know, it sounds like you are very empowered to solve many types of problems um, within a practice. So how do you direct staff and employee, employers to act appropriately within the rules? So like, how, would you, how would you kind of word a, a policy in regards to hair that covers all women in the practice or all members of the staff, you know, not just women but men sure. as well. 
Well, I think there's really two stages to that, and you, you mentioned the first one, which is have a policy, a, a neutral, balanced, fair policy. And I kind of think of that as like the framework of a house. It doesn't matter how pretty you know your your wallpaper is if the two by fours that hold it up or the two by tens that hold it up are falling down. All right, so we got to build the policy first, and the policy itself is um, going to be something that is neutrally applicable to all genders, all races, all religions. So we want to say something like uh, you want professional hair that is neatly trimmed and if their clinical team they're going to have it pulled, if it's long hair it's going to be pulled back from the face. Uh, things like that where you're going to get yeah. to a place where you get close to what you want and then, and this is the second part, once you have that framework in place, you have to have managers that can implement it well. And that's where we start to put the walls up and the plumbing in and things like that and start to look good. Um, the managers have to take that and apply it fairly. And that was the, 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 the part where that doctor almost misstepped. He had a good policy. We were creating a great policy, but he was going to implement it unfairly. And so part of that is having educated managers who know what protected classes are, who know what protected activity is, so that they can say, oh, wait, there's a landmine here. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do it a different way, or I'm going to talk to a professional before I do anything because I know that this is a danger zone. Now, you know, we have been having kind of conversations, you know, in, in recent weeks here at Aesthetic Insider Radio with some of the other experts over at CEDA, and um, the conversations that we've had so far have been, you know, very much limited to in-practice situations. And... Um, you know, so I, the hairstyling and, and that those types of things sure. are, you know, staff breaks, pregnancy and maternity leave, you know, and, and all That's of those things that, that are very much internal issues. Um, you know, I, I do understand that, you know, there's also outside of the workplace, which I think is an area that is as really, I've never had a conversation about it, but, you know, how liable is a owner of an aesthetic practice for perhaps a staff member that is traveling, you know, or on behalf of, of the practice to, you know, another practice or to a medical trade show or even to, you know, a staff member running out to pick up a sandwich or everybody's lunch, you know. Can we go in depth a little bit there about, you know, perhaps situations that, you know, may, maybe don't happen to everybody but have happened to some uh, more specifically outside, physically outside of the practice. Sure. I have a couple good war stories, but let's start with the basics, the framework. Right? Okay. The policy that you want to have, which you need to tell you your employees. You kind of scare me. Yeah, like, war stories, yeah. horror stories. It's like, uh-oh, what are we in for? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're a little bit funny because they didn't, they didn't happen to you, right? Like, that's, that's the key to a good story. Um, yes, but, yes. So the, the first piece that you want to understand is that if the employee is doing something for you, they are on the clock, right? So if they're training, right? For instance, they're sitting in a lecture at a, a medical convention. Uh, they're on the clock. Um, now, there's some exemptions for this. If you send an associate doctor, if you send your office manager, that might not be, they might not get extra money for it, but they're still working for you. And when they're working for you, even if they're running down to pick up the mail or go grab lunch for everybody, uh, you're responsible for their actions, and they, in turn, have to follow your rules, right? Once they leave for the day, you know, <laughs> closing bell hits, they walk out to their car, they're off duty, if they drive around and run somebody over or if, you know, they do something dumb, it's not going to come back on you. But if they're driving at, at your behest or if they're at a convention and they're doing it because you sent them there, um, 
you're going to be responsible for their actions. And conversely, they have to follow the, for instance, dress policies. So, you know, they can't show up in their pajamas unless you're okay with that. You know, they can't, mm-hmm. they, they can't show up to the convention in their bikini unless, again, you say that that's all right. I don't necessarily recommend that. But, you know, as long as you set those rules up, that's good. Now, that can go wrong when people forget. They think, I'm outside the office. The rules are different. I don't have to follow that. And we actually had that exact situation come up where uh, one of our members called up and said, hey, you know, we went to this convention. There were four of us, all women, you know, all coworkers. We know each other. And we get there, and everyone's like, okay, you know, drop your bags off uh, at the hotel. We go up to some one of the uh, hotel rooms that were sharing and one of the women that had come with had just recently received uh, breast augmentation and as you know the doctors who are listening to this probably know when that happens often you know the recipient is very proud of what they have they want to show it off they want people to appreciate it and this woman was no different Uh, And she kind of forgot that this was an office of work function. And so they're talking, and she just says, hey, uh, check this out, and takes her top and her bra off. And so now she's half naked in front of her coworkers. And everyone's a little (laughs) bit weirded out, right? You know, like, what do you do? Because if if that was in the office, there might – people would almost think of it differently. But that hotel room is kind of an extension of the office, and the rules still apply. You have to keep your shirt on, (laughs) as weird as it sounds to say. And I actually had to write a corrective action for that that said – you know, you have to keep your clothes on <laughs> while you're working, as weird as that sounds. Um, but that is something that we'll deal with. Now, that actually went a little, that particular incident went a little downhill because later that night, that particular employee brought a male f- friend home who was not a coworker uh, back to the hotel room and they had sex in the bed next to a coworker in a different bed. So that got a whole bunch more awkward <laughs> down the oh line. My but still. Yeah, you, you hear some odd things when you work this job. Um, yeah. But, you know, when we had to write the corrective action and when their manager had to give that employee the corrective action, the the basis of it was, listen, even though this didn't happen at the office, the rules still apply. You still have to, you know, have common courtesy, basic decorum, keep your pants on, <laughs> that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Now, you know, that is interesting because now, for other, for instance, if – you know, you you think within a work day, you know, an employee is kind of on the clock for if they're part time four hours a day, if it's full time eight hours a day. Um, in that type of a situation, when you know a, a, a staff member or several staff members are away at a trade show, can you you don't kind of set the hours of time that they work, and then you know when the show ends at five, you're off the clock, you're on your own, but I am paying travel expenses thereby I am no longer liable for you or are they are you, is the physician liable 24/7 during the time of that trip they're not exactly liable 24/7 so uh, the the federal government and in some instances state governments have set when someone is working and therefore has to be paid when they're traveling I I don't know if your listeners are very interested in it, but essentially if they're working during the normal working hours applied seven days a week, um, they're going to be on the clock, right? So if they normally work 8 to 5, Monday through Thursday, if they're traveling at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, they're on the clock. Uh, If they're traveling at 6 a.m., they're not on the clock. That's the basics. At training, if they're doing the training, they're on. If they're not doing the training, they're off. It's very simple. Now, some states modify that, but that's the basics. Um, The problem can come in because people 
think of travel differently, right? So we had another instance, again, another war story, where an employee is coming uh, back from a trip, and they the, the flight gets a little delayed, you know, hour, two hours in the airport. They've got nothing better to do, so they go over to the airport bar. They have, you know, three too many martinis, and mm-hmm. they go to yes. get on the plane, <laughs> and, you know, there's a gap between the Skyway, the piece that comes out from the airport, and the, uh, the plane itself, the door, and they put their foot through the gap because they're slightly less under control than they normally would be, and they trip, and they fall, and they hurt themselves. And they say, hey, I'm going to make a workers' comp claim, right, because I'm working right now, which is true. That legitimately could be a workers' comp claim. But you can't be drinking at work. And because Mm. she was working at that time, she got drunk. Workers' comp claim denied. Employee couldn't recover for those injuries because she brought it on herself by violating company policy. So it's really important to have those policies and to make sure the employees are told, preferably through their handbook, maybe also by their managers, that they apply even when they travel because it can protect you from things like that. Yeah, I mean, some of these stories are kind of unbelievable, but but very believable, you know, because we're all human beings. And, you know, and I yeah. think... You know, one of one of the areas you know I I understand even just from raising children is boundaries. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and setting you know bound boundaries or rules and regulations that you know have to be pretty strict and and you know people kind of respond well to those. You know, um, and therefore yeah. I think it would be no different in a aesthetic practice that the employee handbook, as you mentioned, you know, is geared up with you know, practice policies, you know, that are, again, you know, beyond outside of the practice. Now, not everybody sends their staff to trade shows or to, you know, travel experiences. Um, What would be some other kind of everyday things that a aesthetic practice may require of an employee that could become an issue if it's not if a policy has not been set, you well, know, that's a, that <laughs> I'm going to say almost anything because yeah. I've, I've dealt with a huge <laughs> range of things. But um, just for as an example, something you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, where you said you know you send the employee out to go get lunch, or they you know go get the mail, or you know maybe you have two offices and they move from office to office, right? You know you have to have them cover someone's shift because their kid got sick, so you send them to the other office, something like that. Um, any of those types of things where the employee's out in the world, they're not in the office, but they're doing so at your behest, then if they get into a car accident, if they run a pedestrian over, if they have an epileptic seizure and drive into a wall, um, that's going to be a workers' compensation eligible injury, right, unless there's some other mitigating factors. But uh, most likely that's going to come back at the employer. And what we want to do is have all of those rules and on top of that, rules about, for instance, driving right? Uh, The employee has to have a valid state-issued driver's license. Seems kind of normal. We kind of expect everyone to have one, especially if they show up in their car every morning, but that may not be the case. And if you say to the employee, hey, employee, go get the mail or something, that employee's not going to be like, oh yeah, uh, I drive here every day, but just FYI, I don't have a license. They're not going to tell you that. (laughs) They're going to try to keep that on the down low. So they're going to come to you they're going to say, yeah, sure, of course, I'll go do that. And then they get into an accident and it comes out they don't have a license. Now it comes back on you because your agent, and that's the legal term, um, your agent was acting on your behalf and injured someone and they were doing it without being properly licensed or, and this is a common one too, not properly insured. 
right? Oh, and yes. we all know how insurance companies work. They look for where the money is. And so if yes. you have an employee who is not insured, the chances of them being what's called judgment-proof, i.e., they don't have any money to go after, is pretty high. And so what they're going to say is, oh, so you said you were doing something for that cosmetic uh, uh, practice that you work for, huh? That they have some money. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. all of a sudden now you're in that uh, you know hit and run or, or, or just car accident lawsuit, and they're going after you because they know you have the deep pockets. Hmm. Interesting. Now, so you know you can have you know obviously policies in place. Um, would you suggest you know in in the case of a um, physician who hires somebody who you know for instance knows well this staff member will be driving their own vehicle from practice A to practice B. Or, you know, this employee will be my, you know, personal assistant who will drive to the bank to make bank deposits or drive to the post office. Um, You know, would you also recommend that they they keep on file a copy of a valid driver's license and copy of valid personal insurance insurance or, you know, would that be an additional thing you would recommend? Yes, okay. Mm -hmm. You'd make a policy saying that the employee has to have a valid driver's license, and then in the beginning you'd ask for it. Now, you don't have to have like a a daily check, like, oh, show me your license, make sure it's still valid. That's not required. But we want to take, and this is, again, sorry for all the legal terminology, this is doing your due diligence, right? You made an effort to make sure that the person was what they were supposed to be at the time. And if they, you know, the next night get a, a DUI and that takes away their license down the road, well, it's not really your job to follow up. Now, if you found out about it, like they say, oh, yeah, by the way, i got to go to this court date because I have a DUI, that would be a trigger where you want to follow up and say, hey, yeah, yeah. Can you still drive? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually did have an employee at one point who did get a DUI, and I will say he was – he came in full of remorse, you know, on what had happened to him, and told me, and 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 basically, you know, he, he was he was actually a very good employee, um, you know, more to the fact of, you know, was I still willing to keep him on as an employee, because he now had to take the bus to work, you know, and there had been instances where he would drive on an, an interview with the media or different things like that, and so he actually really limited his capabilities at work. Um, and but I did keep him on. But you know, again, not everyone is going to be kind of the, quite that that brave enough to go into their boss and say, "By the way, I got DUI this week and I can't drive anymore." You know, for two years or exactly. whatever it is. Um, what we see, and that's a, a great example of something, although it comes up a little bit differently most of the time, is um, someone who's hiring. Right. So an employer is looking for a front desk, and you know they. Uh, find a bunch of applicants, they find someone they really like, this person has the experience they want, they're willing to work at the price that they're offering, it looks great. They do their background check, by the way, do background checks. <laughs> um, yes. They do the background check, and it comes back that this person has a relatively recent, let's say, DUI. Um, and then they're like, oh, I don't want to employ this person. It's like, whoa, wait a second, take a, take a break. Is this person going to be driving for it, for you? Yes. And in the person, I'm like, no, they're my front desk. It's like, okay, so we don't really care if they take the bus to work or if they've the DUI doesn't go to some aspect of their job that we think they're going to do poorly. It just happens yeah. to be a fact of life, and we don't want to de- necessarily deny that person employment based on it. And here's why: not just because we're good people, although that's true too, but because 
crimes often have a disparate impact in terms of who gets convicted, who gets arrested on certain groups, often minority groups. And so if you say, I will not employ, let's say, anyone who's convicted of anything, that may have a greater than average impact on, let's say, certain ethnic or racial minorities. And then all of a sudden, you're almost accidentally discriminating. And that's, again, mm, right, yes. remember about the outcome or the impact versus the intent. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that's a whole other conversation. It's high risk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you how do you really hire somebody? Oh, my God, it's such a good idea. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it is unbelievable. And so, you know... Um, Kind of, you know, what would be some other areas, um, you know, even of, of again, looking outside of the practice um, with with staff that maybe are habitual problems that they can create themselves. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, you have a staff member who, you know, does go from one practice to the other but seems to take too long to get from one practice to the other, perhaps is doing some personal things in between. Sure. You know, it, it, do you ever have instances of things like that, and how would a physician kind of control that time? Yeah, so just like anything else, an employee can be held to a performance standard, right? If I look on, you know, I pull up Google Maps, and I say that the distance between these two, Google Maps says it'll take about 20 minutes, but the employee is taking 40, well, I know something weird is happening, you know, especially mm -hmm. if it's every time. Once in a while, maybe got caught, you know, in traffic or something, something went wrong, but every time, well, or even a, a couple of times, that could be a problem. And you're going to treat it exactly the way you would any other performance or tardy-related issue, right? You're going to go talk yeah. to the person, usually first. You say, hey, I saw you took it, this took 40 minutes. I was just wondering what happened. And maybe they have a great story. Maybe they, you know, get really nervous and don't tell you anything. And then you, you know, say usually something along the lines of, well, I just want you to know, I expect that, that you get between there. I want you to obviously obey all of the traffic laws. Don't speed. Don't run red lights. You know, if something takes you a little bit longer, that's okay. But if that comes up and it looks like you're going to be late, let me know. Right? I just want to know what's going on. I don't want you yeah, to break any laws. Yeah. And now it happens three or four times. Now it might be time for the write-up. Right? Now you're going to bring in the corrective action. You're going to write it down. You're going to document what happened. You're going to give it to the employee. They're going to acknowledge receiving it. This is what we call progressive corrective coaching, which is, can be a whole other uh, discussion about how to do that right. But that's really the process that you want to fix that. And the key, and this is what I see so many doctors miss on this, is that they don't get in there when it starts to happen, right? It's mm -hmm. it's like, we'll get the call, and this will have been going on for six months. And yes. now other employees have started to do it. And that's often the trigger. When they start to see the infection spread, that's when they call us. You don't want to let it get to that point. Because you can, it's just like any other, like a ship, for instance, it's way easier to make that small course correction early rather than have them to, like, you know, <laughs> heal it over hard and then make this big one later on. And so the, the, yeah. the sooner you can get to that and nip it in the bud, the better. Yeah. Well, I think, too, is it's, it's almost like, you know, what what is kind of perhaps a bad habit becomes a lifestyle. <laughs> you know, I've felt exactly. It yes. always takes me 40 minutes because I stop off and get Starbucks and I have a break in between. Yeah. You know, not an authorized break. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I've had myself where, you know, I had an employee who, you know, would show up 15 minutes late every morning and yep. apologize for the traffic that, you know, 
um, he had encountered on the way in. Now, we live in Southern California, and there's always traffic. But he would always, always. have a Starbucks, a Starbucks in his hand, you know, and it's like, <laughs> well, maybe you need to go get Starbucks 50 minutes earlier than you normally do, you know, because yes. that's obviously the, the whole The traffic in the drive through line doesn't count. <laughs> we don't exactly. it that way. Exactly. So, yeah, I think there are, you know, what would you say would be some of the red flags? You know, we have just about two minutes left on the show, and so I do want to, sure. like, you know, what would be a couple of other red flags for physicians to look out for, um, you know, so that small problems don't become potentially expensive legal consequences? Okay, I'll look at that from two different sides, and I'll try to make it quick. Um, the first one is how much risk does that employee have simply by the classes that they fall into? So that protected classes, things I mentioned before, right, race, ethnicity, pregnancy, disability, marital status, veteran status, sexual orientation, things like that. If you're in California, which you are, right, there's going to be even more because California has a lot more rules than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> um, if an employee falls into one and often multiple of those, it is riskier to take any action against them. So you want to make sure that if something goes wrong, you're going to treat them exactly like you would anyone else, but make sure that you're managing effectively. Because if you have to terminate, because this person's been doing something wrong for six months, and you're just like, I need them out of the office, and uh, you call me, and I'm like, okay, well, what kind of write-ups have you done? And they're like, nothing. The employee file is empty. I'm like, well, that's going to be really risky. Because you're saying bad performance for six months. She's saying, you never told me. I think it's because I'm you know, gay or whatever. Uh, that's going to be a problem. That's risky. That's yeah. one side of the thing. The red flags going forward from behavior I find the biggest ones that open the door for the rest are usually attitude and insubordination. So when they start to treat people under them or across from them in terms of, of level poorly, that will eventually expand into up, right? It'll, they'll eventually be start you know, sighing loudly when you tell them to do something or just grumbling about everything. And so you want to get in and correct that offense to office culture quickly. The other one is insubordination. If you have an employee that fights you on small things, they'll eventually fight you on big things. So again, mm. get in there and say, hey, this is not the way that we interact here. And it's okay if you know, I'm not attacking you. If that's the way that you want to interact, then let's talk about how you can work somewhere else because you're never going to be happy here. But this, if you want to keep your job, if you want to work here, and I want you to, this is the way that we interact with each other because that kind of thing is only going to spiral. It never gets better on its own. Yeah. And, you know, I really like how you say that. I mean, there are obviously these, you know, very specific protected areas that, um, again, yeah. that's kind of another conversation, a big conversation to have Um you know, and then this progressive, um, what did you call that, Pro progressive? Progressive corrective coaching. Corrective it's, it's, it's a, coaching. A lot of people PCC. will call it write-ups. PCC. Yeah. Yeah, a lot that. of people will call it write-ups, but it's not just that. It's the whole range of how to correct behavior. Yeah, which I think, again, you know, we all hope that everybody has a great team, the great staff, but, you know, here and there there's always uh, the one bad apple uh, you know, just yeah. the one who who takes advantage, and it and it really can destroy an entire team. Um, you know, Kurt, this has been really, really a very inspiring and insightful um, conversation that we've been having today. Um, if I was a physician looking to you know learn more about Cedar HR solutions or to touch base with with one of the HR advisors, how would I go about doing that? 
Well, we've got two really awesome programs for people that aren't members yet or not customers yet. Um, if you have an old handbook like, or no handbook at all, you know, hope that's not the case, but let's say you have you know, something your friend gave you two years ago and you've been using that um, or you downloaded it from somewhere, send it in to us. Uh, if you send it to eval, E-V-A-L, at cedarsolutions.com, we will take a look at it. We'll have an attorney review it. They'll call you up at a time of your choosing, and we'll tell you what's wrong with it won't charge you anything. You know, obviously we want you to buy our product, but first thing we're going to do is convince you that what you have isn't any good because and we've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> we've literally never found one that's 100% compliant. It just okay. if, well, it's, if it's old, it's broken. And that's just even if it was ours, even if you had ours from 2 years ago, it'd be broken. Um and then the second piece, let's say that you think your handbook's fine, but you have this problem in your office maybe a leave, maybe a pregnancy, maybe just a bad employee, give us a call. You can talk to one of our advisors for free. We'll work you through. We'll provide documents if you need it. We call it a one-time problem solve. We want you to see what our service is like. Simple as that. Well, and, and then is there a website where um, we can find more information on CEDA Solutions? Yeah, uh, Cedar Solutions, and but we're creative with the spelling. It's C-E-D-R, uh, solutions.com. Uh, you can get a whole bunch of information about our services, but also if you're not necessarily interested in buying something, there's a whole bunch of HR resources that will tell you about things that are happening. For instance, the exempt versus uh, the exemption levels are going to be harder to meet very soon. So if you have exempt employees, you want to make sure you're up to date on that. Um, California has updated a bunch of things in the last year, so if you're in that state, make sure you check that oh, out. Oh, daily. <laughs> Essentially, Every yeah. day there's something new in California, it seems. Yeah. yeah. So if you have if you have access to uh, come come there. We, if you sign up, we'll send you a monthly uh, HR training piece. It's about two pages, uh, and it just tells you something different about HR that you want to know. Again, all this totally free. Use it, and if you like what we do, sign up. We'll help you out. Great. Well, Kurt, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, again, for our listeners out there, if you want to um, just look online, go to www.cedarsolutions.com. That's C-E-D-R, solutions.com. Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.